Hi, Denise. Come up. You want to come up? Nice to see you. <laughs> we haven't talked for a while. Hope all is well. How are you? Hi, Katarina. I'm doing great. How about you? Good, good. Thank you. I will be an exciting talk. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> I'm so happy that the speaker agreed to come. I'm putting up a Dropbox and could you check for me if you have access? It sure. should work for everyone, just in case. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this works. Perfect. I feel like Dropbox has been improving to share this kind of stuff. Before you, I think you always had to download stuff and now they they changed that, I think. That is fortunate. Hi, Wisdom. Hi, Wisdom. How are you? If you want to come up, uh, let me just invite you. Haven't talked with you for in a long time, too. <laughs> nice seeing you. Yeah, guest speaker has never been on Clubhouse before, so uh, yeah, the first few minutes will will explain a few things. It's always sort of fun when they've never been here before. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I like it too. How's been the new year treating you? All good? Yeah, it's been, uh, can't complain too much. That's good. How about you? Yeah, the same. Like, I can't complain too much. <laughs> it was good. The, it was cold, now it's kind of warm again. That's uh, the only worry I have, that it's not winter really anymore here in New York. Yeah, yeah, it snowed twice since I've been here. Oh, where, um, did you move or? Yeah, temporarily. Oh, nice. Yeah, but it was just tiny amount of snow, like really just. <laughs> like an hour. <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, I don't know, it used to snow a lot. And, uh, yeah, that's that's exactly. I mean, I landed here in January. I was like, "Where's the snow?" Yeah, last year was the same. It's not a little bit. The years before, we still had a few, not that much like it used to be, but still snowstorms. But now, since last year, I feel they are gone. Yeah. Hi everyone, uh, I shared the lab website in the chat and then the paper is open source, uh, it's Nature Communication and it's also there for everyone that wants to read a little bit and then the, the slide presentation is pinned on top. Um, so yeah, should be really interesting, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. and. Uh, yeah, the guest speaker is new to Clubhouse, so bear a little bit with us, we'll be fine. <laughs> so. 
starting at the top of the hour, is that right? Yeah, exactly. We'll start on top of the hour. Feel free to share the room. And um, yeah, we will begin shortly. Let me see if I can find focus. One question I'm looking forward to asking the presenter is what is the largest object they've moved for the longest duration? Yeah, that's that's a cool question. <laughs> that's definitely on the list. Yeah, you should ask that. Well, definitely. Sure will. I feel like um, we're on the brink of um, beam me up, Scotty, but probably <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, that'll dial definitely. I'd love to hear you ask that question. How far are we from this? <laughs> Well, it was always my dream, you know, you probably know yourself, like as an immigrant kid, you have to travel a lot throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And I always wished, oh my God, I wish I could just, you know, do this fast and just be me, <laughs> be me to, you know, home and back. So, you know, instead of... You I may have, you probably have seen this. Um... There was a story about how I think it was NASA was able to um, move matter. I think it was matter. It was like a very tiny amount and it was only from one point. I want to say one point on Earth to another point on Earth. And it wasn't like a really long distance. It was less than, I don't know, 100 kilometers or something like that. But they were able to do it. Oh, you, there's, yeah, I read that too. <laughs> Hi, Ongyang. I'm sorry. Am I saying your name right? And um, I checked on your website this morning uh, because there's a very convenient play button to play your name. But I already <laughs> forgot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No worries. Can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my name is Agni, and I, I go by Augie as well, uh, which is much easier. Okay, Agni. Agni. I'm sorry, Agni. <laughs> thank no you worries. so much. Uh, thank you for coming and making the account and and taking the time to come here. We are already very excitedly <laughs> speaking about sci-fi type of you know usage of, of this technology which, um, uh, no excited to be here and tell you more about it. i don't know i don't know how much how, how much we can maybe let's say um avoid the disappointment of some of the things that can happen in science fiction that cannot happen in our research but um some of the things can have have, have have very nice analogs, maybe let's put it that way. But um, so I'm ha very happy to, to tell you more about uh, the work that we do and and why we find it so exciting. Yeah, definitely. No, you will definitely not disappoint at all. We were just, you know, speaking about um, the imagination <laughs> in a fun way. <laughs> so um, we will slowly start. Um, I know it's a little bit early. Uh, but we can, I think, start with introductions and so on. And then um, we'll do a short interview um, section before 
um, it's you know time for presenting your slides so and for everyone the slides are pinned on top of the room uh, everyone should be able to access them I shared again the paper on in the chat and it's open source so everyone should also have access to that and then I also shared the lab website please check it out it's it's really interesting uh, to learn more about the lab um, and um, yeah I think we can start and yeah please meet Dennis Dennis um, uh, we are very excited to start wonderful <laughs> can I ask a quick question um, oh, so sure. I realized my slides are in PowerPoint but um, if there's being scroll I don't know if, if if you're scrolling them online maybe I should have uploaded them as a PDF I know sometimes there's, you know, like the transitions that PowerPoint can do if it's kind of shown in a browser of Dropbox might not work. So I would just have the question about that. Oh, uh, the transitions if, you mean uh, when you make like from one slide to the other and the graph pops up or, or something like that? Sure, like sometimes animations and I think there's a couple of videos. I don't know if they would show mm -hmm. in a browser if they're open through, um, through, Dropbox directly, so that's that's kind of my question. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, if it's through Dropbox directly, let me um, let me check again. I um, I think it worked for me, but I could have just have... maybe, maybe okay. technology is getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs> I know that videos don't work anymore on Google Drive. They used to work for a while, and then we had to kind of switch. Um, no, it works. I see it uh, popping up. Yeah, it's okay. fine. Oh, I think that's working. Yeah. Okay, let me see if, I, if the videos will work. For me, it will work. The videos uh, on mm, which slide? They don't, a 12, I don't think they work. Uh, that's no. interesting. Okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't realize. So for everyone that wants to see the videos, Please, um, uh, we could either you could send me really quick the videos and I can offload them on Google Drive and share them, or people just have to uh, um, look at the slides on PowerPoint uh, instead of in Dropbox. So I think most people are fine with doing that. So, okay. Yeah. Good. So, um, well, thank you so much for coming. It's a great honor uh, having you here. And uh, we will start with a short introduction so people get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and then uh, we'll go from there. So, uh, Dr. Ongyan Illich, um, he has the lab for Laboratory for Nano Optics and Mechanics. Um, at the University of Minnesota. And he is a Benjamin May Huge um, Assistant Professor at the Department of Mechanical Engineering. And uh, he is also um, faculty of the School of Physics and Astronomy and Electrical and Computer Engineering. Um, he did his PhD at MIT at the Soljacik Group. I hope I said that right. At Harvard University, and um, he then did his postdoc at Caltech at the Atwater Group, 
and he won several awards, the McKnight Land Grant Professor, Air Force Young Investigator Program Award, the 3M Non-Tenured Faculty Award, and Materials Research Society Bulletin Prize uh, Whitman Fellow at MIT. And um, we usually do the rest of the introduction kind of through a short interview, if, if that's okay with you. Of course, yeah. Perfect. So um, our first question is, um, when did you realize you wanted to um, go this path and down this path uh, to become a scientist? Uh, was it something you, you always dreamed of? Was it something that came maybe later on by reading a book or a professor or a class you took? Maybe parents pressured you, you know, whatever the answer is, I think it's really interesting for non-scientists and for young people that are starting their career to learn about that. Thank you. Oh, uh, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Let me see if I can uh, trace it back. Uh, I'd say probably my first exposure to physics uh, was um, just something that, uh, that I, that really impressed me kind of the ability to describe how the world operates, but in such very simple terms, right? If you think of something like Newton's first law, like, you know, in second, you know, force equals mass time acceleration, we can use these very relatively simple concepts to, you know, calculate the trajectory of a rocket. Um, so, so that simplicity and how much you can do with it, that's kind of embedded in physics is what I always found really extremely interesting. Um, and, um, I have enjoyed doing physics uh, and math uh, kind of through, through uh, you know, early education in high school. But I'd say really in college, um, I saw that as a career path, um, kind of seeing uh, you know, professors that could you know, do very interesting research and, uh, and uh, you know, teach on these subjects. Uh, and I saw myself really uh, you know, being interested in doing that. Um, and then that kind of continued through uh, your graduate school, uh, postdoc, and you know I'm, now I'm 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 really happy to have the job that I have. I think it's um, it's uh, certainly the best job I can imagine for myself, um, and it's really enjoyable. And I think something that's exciting about this work is that uh, you really never know what you're going to be working on in a few years, right? I can't necessarily know what we're going to be working in five years, and that's just really incredibly exciting. Um, so maybe that's a short answer to to that question yeah thank you so much it's um it's an interesting answer and especially the part that you know we never know what we will be working on the next years it always depends on you know the results and and uh, the current ongoing research i think that's a that's a really wonderful mindset and do you think you need that mindset to make major discoveries like you do because i would say there's also a lot of research that stays on the safe side maybe with a different mindset i don't know we 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 ask that question here sometimes what people think what the major what what the ingredients for such a major discovery are um thank you yeah, so that's a really great question. I, I wouldn't say that it's a required mindset. I'd say that it's just a really fun way to work. Um, um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think, I certainly never 
think of it as my goal to, you know, discover something amazing. Um, it's just really finding really interesting phenomena in different systems and kind of using, you know, what we know in one system and seeing if it would apply to a different system. And for example, here, what I'll talk about is, you know, my background and training are really in optics and photonics. Uh, and we kind of saw how some of these ideas really carry very nicely uh, into acoustics, uh, even though, you know, we basically didn't had, had done none, no research in acoustics before. Um, so, so I'd say it's a really fun way to, to, to work. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, sometimes things work out, sometimes they don't, but, um, yeah, there's definitely, you know, not as much pressure and, uh, much more enjoyment when kind of trying to, uh, think a little bit outside of the box, uh, um, and kind of seeing where our skills translate. Um, yeah, thank you. And then how did you, you alluded a little bit, um, to that nobody else was really doing work in this field. So, so, so how did you, did you come to work on this project and, and, you know, start this, this endeavor? Thank you. Uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe I'll, I'll kind of clarify. I'd say that, uh, certainly folks have been working and I'll talk a little bit, you know, in my slides that, uh, on, you know, different ways you can use, you know, um, um, light or sound to move and manipulate objects. Uh, what I meant to say is that uh, some of our research uh, was predominantly in optics and optical materials. And when we saw some really new ways of doing things there, we then thought it would be interesting to apply this to systems we didn't know much about and kind of um, found, let's say, some low-hanging fruit that maybe others have have missed. Um, so, so that's, that's, I would say that, that, that connection that, that led us into this, uh, into this paper and the research that I will talk about. Uh, and I think maybe from the slides, a little, a little bit clearer about, uh, kind of what the state of the art, uh, is or was, and kind of some of the ideas that, uh, that we were excited to test out in the systems. Wonderful. So, uh, yeah, uh, everyone, the slides are pinned on top and, uh, feel free to access them. If you want to see the videos, um, please access them through a PowerPoint. And uh, yeah, the stage is yours. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. So maybe let me, uh, so would I um, kind of let folks, uh, what is the best way to kind of sync the going through the slides? Yeah. You know, do I kind of tell folks, so now move on to slide two? Yeah, or that, what would is, be, how, how yeah this... that would be best, I think, exactly. Okay, so let's see if this will, how this will work. Um, and I'll obviously take suggestions from the audience. If um, it's the first time I'm kind of presenting with instructions as to how the slides should move. So I know we'll, we'll give it a shot. So maybe uh, from the top, I can, um, to start, I'd say that um, I, I'm very happy to be here and tell you uh, about our work. And the title of this discussion is uh, Metamaterials in Motion. And um, in a second, I'll, apply, I'll explain what I mean by metamaterials, but maybe the main takeaway point uh, I hope to um, make here is how we can uh, harness the energy and momentum of waves uh, to move objects uh, without uh, physical contact. Uh, so now moving on to the next slide, a brief introduction. Um, 
I am an assistant professor of uh, mechanical engineering um, at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Uh, and I'm really fortunate to be part of um, a wonderful team of uh, undergrads, grad students and postdocs um, that uh, come from um, very different educational backgrounds. So we are a mix of physicists, material scientists, mechanical engineers and electrical engineers, uh, and also from uh, uh, you know, many different places around the world. Um, but what unites us, uh, I'd say, is a really shared enthusiasm for uh, understanding how waves, especially light and sound, uh, interact with uh, materials and metamaterials and how we can understand, uh, design, and apply those interactions uh, in different areas of uh, energy uh, sensing and robotics and so on. Um, so maybe we'll move on to the next slide. Um, and um, kind of before I tell you about what our goal is, um, maybe the general um, kind of background to motivate this work of uh, manipulation or contact view manipulation is to say that uh, really across many areas of science and engineering, uh, there is a universal need to actuate objects. You know, we want to translate a signal into controlled motion. Um, and often uh, we do this by means of physical connections and tethers, uh, and the energy for that motion can be uh, delivered externally. Uh, for example, you know, a robotic actuator arm that's connected uh, with a wire or, or carried itself by the moving object, like a battery. You know, a drone would have a battery and we can uh, control its motion. But um, what would be really interesting to achieve uh, is the ability to move objects remotely from a distance uh, without contact and without an onboard energy source, such as a battery. Uh, and this is something that waves uh, can provide. They have these, these two distinct qualities where um, this, this manipulation can be contactless and we also wouldn't need uh, an energy source to do it. Um, so now uh, the schematic that you see here kind of envisions how a wave, um, uh, for example, an inaudible acoustic wave like ultrasound can impinge on an object and we would like to move it in the desired direction. Um, so now I think if you go to slide four, um, I think should pop up on the side uh, that kind of explains what we want to have on the surface of that object. And we would like to uh, essentially pattern a deliberate and precise um, uh, set of features on the surface that allow us to change, kind of control how a wave scatters off of each point on the surface, uh, allow us to control the force and a torque, uh, and then really enable us to develop new actuation dynamics uh, on these objects. Um, so now uh, slide five kind of uh, brings the, uh, the, that are, are kind of the work that I want to tell you more about, uh, titled Shaping Contactless Radiation Forces Through Anomalous Acoustics Scattering. Um, so, uh, what the kind of the schematic of the object can derive is what we call a metamaterial on a meta surface. And on slide six, uh, it's worth giving a very broad definition of what a metamaterial is. And these are sub wavelength structured materials uh, that combine. Uh, geometry with material properties uh, to control the response of that object, for example, reflection, transmission, absorption, emission, or scattering, 
in ways that is not possible with natural materials. Um, so we want to um, combine essentially geometry and material properties and do something that we cannot do simply by the chemical composition of that material. So an example um, of uh, that that is that has been a, you know kind of, uh, of 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 interest in both optics and acoustics in the last few years uh, is the ability to design new kinds of devices using these principles. So in slide seven, uh, uh, we talk about um, the difference between a functionality derived from uh, a macroscopic shape of a material. So if you look at it on the left, you see a conventional lens. And the lens works like a lens because it has this macro scale shape uh, to focus uh, light. Uh, but on the right hand side, we can essentially mimic that functionality uh, in a metasurface lens if we deliberately control the pattern on that flat surface to, to mimic the same scattering of waves. And then I think uh, the bottom of that slide shows really the phenomenon that underpins this. On the left-hand side uh, is something that we, we know as the Snell's law. Snell's law tells us that if a wave uh, impinges on a surface, it, it would be reflected at the same angle that it, it is incident. And a generalized Snell's law on the right shows that by controlling the patterns on the surface, we really can program the direction in which, in which um, that wave will scatter um, and in doing so, we can realize all these rich functionalities such as steering beams, focusing beams, um, and also controlling mechanical actuation. Um, so with that in mind, I wanted to kind of set the stage for what is kind of the current state of the art in contactless actuation and how we uh, are hoping to push that, um, uh, push those boundaries. Um, so on the slide eight, um, on the left, you can see something that uh, it's a called uh, an acoustic uh, levitator or an acoustic tweezers uh, and here a collection of uh, ultrasonic transducers you can see on the top and the bottom uh, generates a standing wave profile where we can trap and uh, manipulate small objects right so this is the acoustic tweezers and traps and they've been used uh, uh, in many different areas of microfluidics um, um, uh, to manipulate small droplets, to understand their properties, to manipulate um, small uh, insects, small biological objects, and so on and so forth, right? So the domain of, of uh, acoustic forces and acoustic levitation is, 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 pretty, um, is, is pretty, um, uh, pretty rich and there's a lot of research in, the, in this area. Um, so these are pretty interesting. It's actually not too hard to put one of these together and we can really make very compelling scientific uh, you know, demos, especially for for, uh, for, for public communications. Um, so, but there's some intrinsic drawbacks in this conventional manipulation. So if we look in the right, uh, really in this uh, way, uh, we can only trap objects that are smaller than a half of the wavelength of sound. Um, and that's because they need to fit into the nodes of the standing wave uh, to be trapped. Uh, and typical transducers might be on the order of 50, 40 kilohertz used here. Um, um, and if you look at the one half of the wavelength at those frequencies ends about, about four millimeters. So this is why these objects are generally small uh, and also the manipulation, uh, the distance of manipulation is, um, is um, uh, generally it's a short range effect. 
Um, so with that in mind, we can now go to slide nine. Uh, our uh, idea was to uh, try to see how we can um, uh, engineer different dynamics, uh, whereas instead of trapping small objects, uh, we'd like to look at bigger objects, but objects whose surface is patterned in a very deliberate way. And again, we would like to pattern the surface uh, to control the scattering of waves and in doing so engineer uh, forces and the dynamics. Um, and then in this paper really showed three different effects. Uh, effect A, that this is possible. Uh, and then effect B was uh, shown here where we would like to uh, guide an object autonomously, right? The idea was, can we design an object such that it would follow uh, the, uh, the source? So if a source moves, source of the wave moves, the object would autonomously want to go in that direction. We call this autonomous self-guidance. And then the phenomenon C we were curious to, uh, to design is uh, negative forces. Uh, this is also uh, not negative forces because they're in the, you know, they, they pull the object towards the uh, source of the wave. And that's essentially what a tractor beam is. And this is definitely possible to do if one can engineer this object to have stronger forward scattering then the net force and the object will be backwards. So I'll uh, take a little bit of time to kind of guide through, through some of these uh, phenomena. Um, so slide 10 um, is an example of how we design these uh, meta surfaces or meta materials. And they typically consist of a unit cell that you can see on the right uh, that is repeated in some controlled fashion across uh, the object. Um, and uh, synthesized structure is designed to operate for 20 kilohertz. It's just about uh, just above the audible range, and you can see a dime here for scale uh, in this image. And this object will take incident sound at uh, 20 kilohertz and it'll scatter it strongly uh, in one di in in, a, in direction, which means that the force that it'll experience uh, by uh, uh, by Newton's law is going to be opposite from the scattering. So we're excited to test this out. So on slide 11, you can see our measurement setup where we uh, take a set of these transducers, um, they're relatively weak sounds of source, uh, weak sources of sound intensity is relatively low, and we mount one of these meta surfaces on this um, uh, suspended um, um, system. Uh, and we can see that once we turn the sound of source on, uh, this is uh, uh, on the plot to the right, uh, this object starts to deflect uh, and we can measure the deflection uh, optically um, um, by, by moving mirror, which is not shown here. Um, so it kind of assumes a new, posi new position. And then once we turn the sound off, it relaxes back it's in its original state. Uh, and a really a video on the slide 12 shows this uh, uh, phenomenon, uh, but I guess that we can't really, so I don't know if I should maybe pause here for a moment to let folks play the video or uh, maybe move on. I don't know. I don't know if you have a, um, suggestion. Uh, how long is the video? Um, it's 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 about let's see uh, ten seconds. I think it's pretty short. So I think once you once you play it, it'll it'll it just shows how this the you know once the it has a little green uh, on si sign that turns on about three seconds in, and then you can see the object starts moving. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. It it looks really cool. Yeah, thank you. I think. Okay.
Okay, I think may, I can maybe move on to the to the uh, move on and then. Um... Yeah, yeah, I think. Thank okay. you. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so this was kind of the first phenomenon. So we, you know, we saw like, okay, we can engineer these forces, um, and then what are some of the interesting things we can do with it? Um, so now on slide 13, we talk about the concept of autonomous self-guidance. And the idea is, uh, and you can kind of see it on the left, is uh, we would, you know, if we don't have an object, we create, uh, this is a simulation result, we create a focused sound field. Um, this is again 20 kilohertz, it's inaudible, so we can't hear any of this, of this, um, of these effects. And then if we position an object in that field, and we try to move the source in one direction, the object scatters uh, waves in a way that it'll want to follow the source. Uh, and this is kind of embodied in this force profile that's shown on the top right. And you can see that if the source position is positive, say for example, 25 millimeters, the force, the lateral force in the object is also positive, which means it wants to follow in that direction. And in the, if the source position is negative, the force will be negative. So this is the kind of behavior that we would like to get. Um, and we synthesized our first design and then fabricated this matter surface that looks, that is shown in the bottom right. Um, again, uh, you know, uh, a dime is shown for scale. Um, so obviously then let's demonstrate that effect. So here is um, an example um, on slide 14, uh, where we have uh, the measured results on the left and kind of the schematic of three different positions on the right. Um, and our source, which is the red dashed line, will first move in one direction. Uh, this is the positive uh, uh, orientation and then move in a different direction. Displacement of the object uh, will first follow the source and then follow the source in the opposite direction. Um, so the images for the say minus 15, zero and 15 degrees are shown on the uh, on the right side of the slide. Um, and then the actual video is shown on slide 15. So here I'll maybe pause for uh, about 10 seconds again that shows these sped up video of how this object uh, follows uh, the the source, the green source that is underneath. Yeah, I see it. it. It's really following it. Yeah, so the distance is about 10 centimeters between those two. So we programmed the stage that takes the translational motion into rotational motion of the source, and then this object on the top uh, follows it. So this kind of shows that it, it'll want to stay pinned to this beam axis. Um, um, now moving on, our third effect was the negative forces or really tractor beams. And we wanted to demonstrate this uh, in what we call a reflection mode, and that's schematically shown here. Uh, if the wave comes at an angle and we design the structure to kind of uh, have this sequence of red arrows that you can see here, where it'll take wave at an angle, scatter it forward, the net momentum change will be such that the force will be towards the right side of this plane, meaning towards the source. Um, and we have a, again, a fabricated matter surface here and our uh, predicted result from simulations shows that for this object up to about maybe 25 degrees, 
we should be able to feel these attractive forces or these tractor beam forces. Uh, if the angle at which the wave is incident becomes higher, then it starts pushing this object. So there'll always be a kind of a trade-off between the angle at which the wave is incident on this object and whether it is a pulling effect, meaning a tractor beam effect or not. Um, um, and then in slide 17, we have uh, the, uh, the experimental results. Uh, it's slightly, we showed that you know, the pulling can be true to about 22, 23 degrees, and you can kind of see the experimental um, setup image on the right. We kind of come at an angle, uh, and we saw that uh, up to a certain angle, you know, this object will move towards uh, the, the source of the radiation. That indicates that this, at least in this first attempt at strong forward scattering, uh, the effect is 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 there um, up to about 20, uh, 23 degrees or so. Um, okay, and then uh, I'll talk a little bit about um, kind of the things that would be really interesting to do in the future and what we would like to do uh, next. And that's on the slide uh, 18. Um, so really the next concept would be to realize this metasurface levitation, right? Uh, as I mentioned, conventional levitation has the challenges that it typically applies for small objects. Uh, whereas if we um, were levitating metasurfaces, we could design them to induce self-balancing forces and torques such that they can actually stabilize themselves in a sound field without uh, needing to be uh, very small to be uh, to be trapped. Um, and then it would be very interesting to try to scale the concept. Um, uh, for example, scaling this to higher frequencies, meaning shorter wavelengths, could result in much smaller objects, potentially objects that could be, you know, embedded for um, um, applications in, you know, cargo delivery or or soft robots uh, and and so on. Um, and also examine uh, applications in um, uh, picking and contactless picking and placing in, say, uh, environments where uh, materials are delicate and cannot be physically handled, uh, potentially sensing and imaging of large levitated objects with omnidirectional access, uh, uh, and so on. And then here, I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I think uh, the rest of my slides look at uh, the same ideas uh, for light and, and some applications that could and that could result from that. Uh, but maybe I'll I'll pause here and, and and kind of check how we're doing on time, Katarina. Oh, it's 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 fine. Uh, it's three thirty, so we still. I mean, it mostly depends on you how much time you still yeah. have with you. Well, I think probably just a couple of minutes. I think the parallels are really interesting, and I think it would be. Um, um, yeah, let let me do that. I'll I'll, I'll just. I'll take a few minutes to talk about the optical equivalence of these phenomena. And that starts on slide 19. Um, and the reason why I think that's really interesting is because optical manipulation is a very widely used phenomenon. So in 2018, uh, the Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded to uh, Arthur Ashkin for his uh, you know, discovery and invention of optical traps uh, and for, in the 1970s. And this is a schematic shown on the bottom left that shows if you take a laser beam and you focus it very tightly, you will create a region in space where small particles like nano and microparticles can be trapped. Uh, uh, and, and, and this idea is really, I would say, probably one of my favorite concepts in, um, in, in physics, 
because it really feels like straight out of science fiction that you can trap small objects uh, and uh, essentially in, in midair. Um, and optical traps and tweezers have had you know, numerous applications over the last you know, uh, 30 years or so, 30, 40 years. Uh, in cell biology, for example, uh, in, in studying the biomechanics of DNA, optophilitics, colloidal science, uh, uh, microchemistry, and so on. These are really very versatile tools. Uh, but then in, if you go to slide 20, uh, you know, this is still has been really restricted to nano and microscale particles. You know, we do ne not necessarily see uh, this macroscale phenomenon of optical uh, uh, traps and optical uh, tweezers. Um, um, and the reason for that comes uh, in uh, the dynamics of that trapping. Um, so that's in slide 21. Um, similar to acoustic uh, tweezers, uh, objects are trapped because they're very small and the beam of light is very tightly focused and essentially creates this spring, uh, this intensity gradient spring that can trap small objects. Um, and then on slide 22, you can kind of see it more realistically uh, what that uh, looks like. We take these very high numerical aperture lenses and really in very close proximity can we create these conditions that can trap objects. And for that to be true, it has to be very close to the lens and it has to be very, very small objects, typically nanoscale or microscale in size. Um, and then on slide 23 uh, is really um, the same ideas, but applied for light, where if we now start look at macroscale objects, but we pattern their surface in the right way, we can realize um, the conditions for stable macroscale levitation um, and this is some of the ideas uh, in optics, some of the papers that we have uh, published on that uh, in that front. And then this idea to control objects can apply not just on a nanometer scale object. This could be millimeter size objects, uh, you know, uh, potentially even uh, larger, uh, larger than that as well. Um, and then I'll conclude uh, with uh, a slide 24. Uh, for some of the really interesting uses of macroscale levitators, uh, and one is in uh, for sensing applications, uh, levitated objects are, don't have any tether, so they're decoupled from environmental sources of noise, and they could be very precise uh, uh, ways to measure uh, forces, for example, gravitational forces. Uh, and then there's also some really visionary and interesting applications for moving objects in space. Uh, uh, you know, you do not need, uh, you can't use sound in space because it needs a medium to propagate, but you can definitely use light. Uh, and there are these uh, really interesting concepts such as solar sails that NASA and other space agencies are actively developing. These objects use the, uh, the uh, energy and momentum of sun to move in space. Uh, and we can think of essentially embedding these uh, metamaterial metasurface structures to really control the trajectory of these uh, very large sails. Uh, and this also doesn't have to be just driven by sunlight, it can be driven by laser light uh, and then allow us to really move objects uh, in space much faster than any spacecraft that have to carry their, their own fuel, right? It'll essentially allow for fuel-free um, um, uh, propulsion uh, in space. Uh, so some of the very interesting uh, concepts and some of the papers by, by us and other uh, active groups in this area. So I'll stop here, uh, slide 25, kind of thank some of the folks that fund this research. But yeah, I would love to continue this discussion, answer any questions, and um, and yeah, thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for this wonderful presentation. Um, 
this is a really fascinating um how you know this designing of this meta surfaces can lead to this very precise control um with the the incoming wave patterns um yeah i i i i was thinking about the the microbots controlling um immediately because we had a few talks before uh, of speakers that talked about nanobots and so on fighting bacteria the thing is always you know how do you control them well um to where they should move and so on so with these um wavelengths that you're using if you're in an organism like a human how, how deep can you go into a tissue and stay precise did you did you test that yeah so this is a really interesting question is um you know, how it kind of goes back to some of the you know interesting areas for future work is how does this concept scale down or scale up in size and if we're looking to embed something say in a you know biologically relevant medium we would want to ensure that uh there is sufficient transparency of that you know medium to the ways that we want to use to send this energy and the signal through right so in the case of optics, we might want to operate in the biological transparency windows where your know, light can actually make it through. Uh, or in the case of ultrasound, we also want to make sure this is done at the right at the right frequency, such that you know the the you know the skin and uh, you know other tissues that are in between are not don't attenuate the signal uh, too strongly. Um, and then there's also a question of uh, whether we are using these effects. Uh, for actual movement or we use them for steering uh, and that can mean two different things typically if one wants to move something uh, one is fighting you know uh, the inertial or potentially viscous resistance uh, to motion and you'd need more energy uh, to achieve that movement but if you're just looking to steer uh, and then use a different effect for movement for example you know a uh, you know, so let's say we have, I'm, I'm just thinking, a, you know, it's like a soft robot that is, you know, propelled through a fluid mechanism and, you know, that fluid can have a lot of power uh, and one is then interested in steering that object, kind of sending the steering signal, then uh, the steering torques, for example, could be um, done in this fashion, whereas the actual power for motion comes uh, from a different mechanism. Um, so those are some of the, the open questions uh, of, of how this can be scaled or embedded in a medium uh, and still remain, uh, remain uh, and, and still be an, an appreciable mechanism. Yeah, thank you uh, for um, the distinguishing between the steering and the actual movement. Um, that's that's an interesting um, uh, detail that I didn't think of before. And then when you talked about the meta surface self-guiding um, uh, part, so you but you will so you have the self-guiding structure basically meta surface structure 
um, pattern, but the the source position then um, is still um, has to be quite precise then still right as if I understand it right or um, can it self guide um, like does the source position has to change uh, and then kind of basically it's a feedback uh, loop mechanism for self guiding yeah so that that's a that is a, a great question right so uh that you know the general you know when, when we talk about self guidance there's going to be some relevant time scale uh and that has to do with you know if 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 the source moves too fast for the object to follow then this would not be uh, possible and that for example could be that the object is in a very viscous medium and um you know the object can for this to be true the object needs to experience a uh, changing uh, field from the source, right? That's what kind of makes it possible that if, if, if the object is locked onto the source, it doesn't experience any, it's kind of in equilibrium, but if the source moves, um, the object sees an asymmetric field profile and tries to restore that uh, to the equilibrium position. But if the source moves too fast, before the object is at a time to respond to that, then obviously it'll kind of be lost. Uh, uh, you know, it will not have, uh, it will not be able to follow it. So I think the dynamics of self-guidance will depend on A, how fast the source should move, and then B, what is the medium in which the object is trying to follow the source and whether there is, you know, resistance to movement that can slow this dynamics down and then um, you know, the object wouldn't respond. So, so it kind of is, you use the right feedback uh, concept. It is almost if, if one is trying to, uh, you know, control a system, uh, but the feedback is too fast, um, then the object doesn't have time to respond to that. And it kind of is not controlled. So this is the, equi the exact equivalent uh, constraint here. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer. And I wanted to check with Dr. Shah and Denise, if, um, did you have questions? And please go ahead. Yeah, thank you so much for your wonderful talk. So my question, um, it might be a little bit uh, strange, I don't know exactly about it, is about the uh, memory cell. And is that possible that we use this kind of uh, method for the kind of producing nanomemory or mimicking the brain kind of long-term memory producing or not? So that's, a, that I'm, that's an interesting concept that I'm not very familiar with, but maybe if what I'm, what I'm kind of hearing, uh, the question is, you know, is that, is there a way that we could, um, you know, remember, uh, encode emotion and then try to realize it later to some extent? Um, exactly, and, and it can be muscle memory as well. Correct. Yeah. So that's really, I, I think in this, maybe let's say a linear regime. So this is, we would, we would say that this is, you know, a linear wave physics in the sense that um, uh, the response to waves is, 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 is linear. Uh, I would say probably not, but uh, if uh, one starts incorporating nonlinear materials or a way to um, you know, store the energy uh, uh, 
then that could potentially be possible. So maybe this is, you know, say a very soft material that experiences a certain, uh, a, you know, actuation or profile of forces and torques, uh, twists itself in some shape, and then when exposed to a medium of the right, I don't know, chemical, biological properties, can perform some, you know, remembered motion. I mean, that sounds all very interesting and uh, and probably be, be possible, but probably would have to be the right material base to do that. Uh, these kind of rigid objects that operate in a linear fashion would not be sufficient, but um, there could be other material platforms where that is possible. I see. So uh, I think that we should think about the bionic or those kind of things if we want to think about that. Yeah, no, certainly very interesting to think of 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 um, of how you know there can be a you know time scale uh, to store energy to then uh, have a you know programmable or controlled motion at a later time. Or digital memory can be another kind of possibility. So maybe it would, you know, kind of to, to kind of think very broadly, this is all done with materials whose primary response is meant to be acoustic. Um, one can think of combining the optical, acoustic or electronic properties of materials to do something, um, you know, much more complex uh, than, than simple, than simple motion. Um, thank you so much. No, thank you for the for, for your question. That was a really interesting talk. I have a couple of questions. What is the, you had mentioned that these are very small objects. So I was just curious what the largest object that was moved in this experiment was and, and what was the distance? Yeah, so, so these are, uh, so, you know, Size, I guess, you know, so I'd say when it comes to, you know, metamaterials, you know, they could be, uh, for, depending on what wavelength regime some operates, you know, folks would say this is a big object or a small object. Um, these are, if I go, you know, come back, uh, let's say maybe slide 10 or so, uh, these are on the order of, um, let me see, I'd say probably about 12 millimeters thick, and then maybe about you know, five or so centimeters across. So um, they are, you know, you can certainly hold, I mean, we 3D print them, so they're, they're, they're big enough. And the reason they can be so big is because um, the wavelength of sound we used, ultrasound, which is 20 kilohertz, it's kind of right at the audible, uh, uh, the edge of the, the audible range, that wavelength is 17 millimeters in air, right? So we essentially want to have objects that are bigger than the wavelength, and they are, they're about you know, several wavelengths across. We wanted to make them bigger than the wavelengths to kind of demonstrate that this can be done for large objects. Uh, but their surface patterns are, uh, I believe the smallest feature size on the order of maybe 400 microns or so. Uh, so um, they are, the size of the object We really depend on what wavelength one wants to operate at and uh, what one wants to do with those. You know, the very first thing we wanted to do is just to demonstrate this concept uh, and uh, we wanted to pick this 20 kilohertz wavelength um, to make it, they make them, um, um, so it's, it's a nice balance between 
not being able to hear these sound the, the sounds so that you wouldn't annoy your colleagues and coworkers. <laughs> um, but if you, if they're too high in frequency, we have to we can't really use a regular three D printing because the feature sizes have to be very small. So mm -hmm. at these ways, we kind of hit the sweet spot of, you know, our first demonstration can be done with something that we won't be able to hear and we can easily 3D print. Um, so this is, yeah, this motivates, there, huh? there's a balance, right? Because if you want, you know, you can certainly make these things bigger, but then you're getting into the audible range and then you can start, you'll start hearing these, uh, these, these transducers and, you know, that might not be a great thing. Uh, but then if you do something like 40 kilohertz ultrasound, you know, your, 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 your features have to be now one half the, the, the size that they used to be. Uh, so the objects can still be, you know, five centimeters, even 10 centimeters, but the feature sizes have to be smaller. Uh, and it just kind of, we start getting into this, you know, not as easily 3D printable regime. Well, I mean, five centimeters isn't small when, you know, it's about two inches or so, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's pretty large. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about this. You know, th another part of my question was going to be about medical uses. This definitely seems like it falls within the size range. I don't know. Obviously, ultrasound can penetrate um, human tissues. I don't know to uh, what distance, um, you know, the performance starts to, to degrade. But, you know, there we've had speakers here that have... Um, presented regarding magnetic manipulation of medical devices um, inside the human body, it sounds like. Do, do, you see any, do you see any application for this technology within the medical realm? Yeah, so um, I think just to, um, when you say five centimeters, there's, uh, let's say kind of two length scales that one has to keep in mind. Uh, so if one first selects the frequency they want to work at, let's say 20 kilohertz, that has a wavelength of 17 millimeters. The patterns on the surface of the object have to be, uh, you know, much smaller than that, right? So it's like a sail, right? Like a sail on a on a sail ship trying to catch the uh, wind. So, so kind of think of it. Uh, think of it would be patterns on the sail, right? So, so the mm -hmm. idea is, uh, let's say you could have the sail can be any shape but we're essentially putting you know tiny little stitches on the sail maybe that's the way to put it surface texture surface texture right so the surface texture has to be smaller than much smaller than the wavelength right so this so is what i meant catch, end, so that it can catch this this ultrasonic wind that it can catch it and that it can at each point program the pressure independently of the points nearby right so it's kind of you know, at each, imagine that at each point on a sail on a boat, you would be able to exactly design what the force that the sail experiences is, right? So th we can't because our sails are kind of, you know, not necessarily textured, but uh, the point of a metamaterial is that we can kind of really along it precisely at each point on the surface control what the force and the pressure is felt. Um, so, that's, that's, so that's what's limited by uh, how small you can print features. But the actual object, going back to five centimeters, we actually wanted to make it as large to show that this limitation of only manipulating small objects with sound really doesn't apply anymore. Uh, we want the, the patterns have to be small, but the actual size of the object and even the shape of the object uh, no longer matters. 
Um, so, so this is kind of, and maybe the way to communicate that message the best is uh, kind of the three demonstrations that I talked about, you know, um, um, kind of, you know, metamaterial force or self-guidance uh, or tractor beaming. If you look at the shape of these objects, they all look the same. They're just rectangular prisms. They look like three blocks, right? You know, on the order of about five centimeters by one centimeter thickness, right? So if you just kind of, you know, but, but, but the, the actual patterns are very, very different. And it is those patterns those, that, that give the different functionality uh, to, this, um, to, this, uh, to this object. And kind of going back to your question about, uh, um, you know, uh, in medical applications, certainly if this, you know, can be scaled down, for example, if you want to, you know, embed something, you can maybe op operate in much higher acoustic frequencies. Uh, these objects would be smaller and then you would have even smaller features, and then you could use this to guide things uh, and um, and manipulate and potentially even steer them in a, uh, for biological application. Uh, does that answer your question? It uh, does. In terms of kind of the difference between, you know, we, we need our patterns to be smaller than the wavelength, but once we can get the patterns to be right, the, op the actual shape and the, and the size of the object uh, really doesn't matter. As long as the wind, as long as the sail can catch the wind, it doesn't necessarily matter how what the sail's shape is. So I was curious. Correct. I was curious. Um, you're probably not using a PLA plastic. What 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 are you 3D printing with? So this is just uh, um, um, uh, conventional, I believe, polyjet 3D printing. Um, and I don't exactly know the the type of thermoplastic that is used for this, but um, you know, our minimum feature sizes at these wavelengths had to be, I believe, at about 0.300 to 400 microns, so 0.3 to 0.4 millimeters. And that is certainly within the realm of, you know, convention, conventional commonplace 3D printers. You know, obviously 3D printing can work even in much smaller scales, but uh, there's, there's a trade-off of, you know, then the cost and the time to, to printing can, can, can take longer. What model of printer are you using? Uh, so uh, we 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 both uh, uh, printed these using uh, some of the in-house facilities uh, in some of our common centers, and we just kind of send the designs, and they would give they would return back to us here at the University of Minnesota, and we also use some external services uh, um, companies where you can just send them the CAD files, and they will print. So we kind of had to iterate a couple of times to get these things to work uh, to work well. Mm -hmm. I don't so exactly know what models of printers they use. Okay, uh, that that that's fine. That that's a, a detail I thought might have been too far. But um, have you tried different sorts of um, printing mediums, like as in the the material that's being extruded? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we did so uh, from the point of view of their acoustic properties. If they're solidified and rigid, they have relatively similar acoustic properties. I'm gonna. Kind of put relatively in the quotes here, um, or, or similar. Um, so, because they, so we didn't really bother to, to, to test different materials, but certainly if they become more porous or soft materials, they would have different properties, uh, which could be a good thing. Uh, but we, you know, for our initial demonstration, just looked at, uh, you know, standard solid things, and maybe to folks in additive manufacturing, saying standard solid materials doesn't mean much because that can mean many different things. But for us, you know, it kind of, as far as the acoustic properties meant, you know, that was 
there was not that much difference. Um, you know, in our simulation, we'd see that really wasn't that sensitive to the choice of a, of a thermoplastic. Well, there's, I, I suppose there's certainly room for further experimentation in that particular fields of materials. So I'm curious, what are, uh, you know, what are the goals? What is the, you know, is, are the goals in terms of like largest object move for largest uh, distance or like what, what are your future goals for this sort of project? So I think it's a great question. I mean, maybe I can tie it back to, you know, some of the earlier slides, you know, you know, when we want to move something, we would like to be able to take an object and move it in any position in space or with any orientation we, we would like, right? Um, so now we can break down what are the functionalities needed for that? Well, you need to be able to steer an object, right? So you need to be able to uh, translate the energy and the signal for moving in different directions. They would potentially have to be completely opposite directions if you're steering or rotate things uh, in a different way. So not just forces, but also steering torques. Uh, you want to be able to not just uh, push objects, to maybe pull objects. Um, so, so kind of, you know, if I think of a point A in three-dimensional space and a point B, uh, and I think of all the motions the building block motions that I need to be able to get from A to B, um, uh, you know, we still don't have all those functionalities at all. We don't necessarily know how to steer, how to orient objects in this fashion. Uh, so we would want to be able to develop uh, kind of the physics, kind of the way physics that gives us that functionality. And then, as you mentioned, it really comes down to then applying this to different systems, different materials the objects can be made out of, but also different media the object can propagate through. Uh, and, uh, and that kind of takes the idea of moving from A to B of different objects and different materials just becomes a, you know, a lot of, you know, certainly for the near and the midterm future, there's a lot of there, a lot there to unpack. Uh, whether it's done in water, it's done in air, or in a different medium, done with soft materials, rigid materials, and so on. So this is just kind of a first concept demonstration of something that was relatively easy to to do. Uh, I, I probably suspect, you know, the next work to have its own challenge, have its own challenging challenges. Surely, and so these experiments were um, only in the air. Sorry, last question, Katarina. Correct, only in the air. Yep, this is all in the air of rigid objects, right? So we kind of just have one data point in this kind of material medium design space. Hey, we need proof of concept. Really appreciate your work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your questions. Yeah. Um, thank you so much um, for answering all the questions. I, as uh, going back to what we were already imagining, like some future transportation um, device um, through long range and and all these things um, so it's for sure an interesting new field I think you created there that will have a lot of um, applications from the very small scale up to a very large scale I mean if you can have these um, autonomous moving controlled objects you could think of long range um, transportation also um, in the future um, through, you know, I don't know, could you use the current um, radio towers to control those um, and, and the frequencies? 
Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think it'll come down to uh, the frequency, but also the intensity of of the waves or radiation. What we when we speak of the intensity of waves, we we, we think of it as you know radiation intensity. Um, a lot of times, communication intensities need to be much lower. Again, depends on you know the distance at which one wants to communicate and the you know kind of the bandwidths and the, that one wants to transmit. So probably it'll come down to having enough intensity uh, in these waves uh, uh, to do this. In terms of the radio waves, the radio waves have very long wavelengths, so they they wouldn't necessarily be the right um, kind of waves, right? This could be you know kilometer long wavelengths. Uh, so, you know, to be sub wavelength for a radio wave, you know, it's essentially, you know, you could be have, uh, you know, I don't know, a car would be sub wavelength for a radio wave. Um, so probably, but, but certainly other kinds of, 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 of waves, whether in optics or, or acoustics, uh, sorry, same waves, but at different, different frequency regimes, the wavelengths could be, uh, uh, could be relevant, but yeah, it'll come down to, um, to uh, both intensity and also, uh, you know, how how collimated these waves can be over long distances, right? That's something that's exciting about optical manipulation with lasers, that, you know, a laser beam can stay collimated over very long ranges. Uh, so in principle, we should be able to levitate objects, maybe not big objects, but, but you know, objects certainly bigger than micro, micro scale and microparticles uh, over long ranges. Uh, because laser beam can, can be collimated over 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 very long distances, so um, I think you know if that can be done, that would be very exciting. Yeah, I was thinking about the helium um, balloons or um, transportation that some companies in Europe now are restarting for long range, um, not necessarily fast transportation, but um, of um, you know, long range, more renewable energy type of transportation objects. And if you could make those um, helium, like big helium balloons structured with the right metasurface, if you could basically make like a autonomous air streets uh, with, you know, stuff that you frequently have to move back and forth between places. But maybe that's too far off. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think at that point it was also kind of the, the the air dynamics of these objects and kind of the 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 actual flow of fluid, not just you know, sorry, the air currents around it would be would be a big part of that of solving that. So I'm I'm kind of hesitant to speculate to go too much into things I know really very little or nothing about. Yeah, okay. I understand. It's just my imagination going on. But um, yeah, the, we, the, we talked an hour. So thank you so much for coming here and um, really presenting this really amazing research that you're working on, which is so interesting. And we will be curious to follow it um, in the future. Uh, for sure, a lot of more exciting um science news will come out of your lab so thank you so much and um, yeah maybe we'll hear each other again in the future about some some updates so thank you so much we really appreciate you coming here and sharing your time with us uh, thank you so much for the invitation it really was a pleasure I just wanted to add I think it, I think somewhere my contact information is uh, shared I'd be happy to you know take the discussion offline I noticed there were some questions in the 
in the chat. So yeah, please feel free to send me an email. Uh, we're always happy to, to talk about the things we enjoy working on. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you. And thanks everyone for coming, asking really interesting questions. It's always more interesting. And um, yeah, I'll, if you like discussions like this, our next um, talk will be with Dr. Uh, Wallace Colomir uh, talking about the human microbiome uh, transmission landscape. So basically how you we humans uh, transfer the human microbiome and how these patterns change in different populations. So thank you so much. Um, and uh, I hope I hear you all back again. Thank you. I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye everyone. Thank you.